0: What child is this is the question that we ask when we're singing a favorite Christmas song And we're not going to answer the question with the song today Um, We're not going to answer the question with the traditional Christmas text We did that last week when we looked at Matthew 1 and 2 But today we are going to seek to better answer the question What child is this? And a non-traditional kind of text that gives us great insight when we answer that question. And that is John 17. So if you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn to a non-traditional Christmas text. In fact, it's not a Christmas text. But it is a great passage of Scripture that tells us so much about who Jesus is. So it really helps us to be able to answer that question. Because it is the million-dollar question. It is the bazillion-dollar question. Who is he? What child is this? Why would we worship? Why would they come from afar? Why would we worship the one who would be born in Bethlehem? In so many ways, it doesn't make sense. And so we creatively say, What child is this? Well, again, we could look at Matthew 1 and 2. We could look at the early chapters of Luke. But I'd like to have us look at John 17 today because you learn a lot about someone. You learn a lot about Jesus when they, when He is praying. And so we're going to seek to answer that question today in the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And we're going to have seven answers. I'm sure there are more, but I have seven answers for simplicity's sake as we seek to answer the question, Who is this child? Who is this Jesus born in Bethlehem? Answer number one. He is the glory receiver. He is the glory receiver. And by glory, he's the one who's to be honored is what we mean. He's the one to be exalted is what we mean. And we see this in verses 1 to 5 of John 17. Look with me if you would. Verses 1 to 5 of John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. The time has come, the hour has come, glorify your son, exalt your son, supremely honor your son, that the son may glorify you, since you have given him all authority, given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Not a Christmas text, but it does say in verse 3, Whom you have sent. Well, He sent Him into the world, and we have the incarnation, and we have the birth of Jesus, and so that's what got me thinking about the, the passage. He's sent into this world. Who is He? I'm labeling Him the glory receiver. Oh yes, He gives glory back to His Father, but make no mistake about it, uh, when we see Jesus, He is the one who's to receive glory. He is the one who's to receive exaltation maximally. And so, yes, it's true He came to save. We just read about that. We'll talk more about that. Yes, it's true He came for us and we benefit and wonderfully so, eternally so. But let's remember that Jesus came into this world to be glorified to be exalted, to be supremely exalted. And that is even according to plan. We even read it in that text that it's according to plan. He is sent. But when he says, the hour has come in verse 1, that's planning talk. There's a plan. There has been a plan. There's been a purpose. And it's been unfolding. And at this point in time, Jesus says, the hour has come. The timing is right according to plan for this to happen. Now he's getting ready to go to the cross at that point in time. But please make sure that when you ask the question, who who is this child born at Bethlehem? What child is this? Please make sure that you know that he is the supremely exalted one. He is the uniquely exalted one. He is the glory receiver. The one to be honored above all others. And our tendency is, is to be self-centered and to think about ourselves and to have the, the focus be on us. And we even sometimes do that with the Savior who's the one who's supremely to be focused on. Yes, He came for our benefit. Don't, 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 don't negate that. But He is he's central to the whole thing. His glory emphasized again and again and again. Just in those verses, I made these observations, and you could take the time to do them, but uh, for speed's sake and uh, for time's sake, Jesus is the great glory receiver because He is the great glory giver. He gives it to His Father. Because He is the Son. Because He has authority over all. Because He can give eternal life. Because he is the one sent by the Father. Because he is the one who successfully accomplished his work. Because he is the eternal one who existed, and I quote, before the world existed. So it makes sense for him to be the one who receives the glory. Because of who he is and because of what he's done. Now what keeps this from being wrong-headed? What what keeps this from being a, a foul prayer? If it was my prayer, it would be out of bounds. If it were your prayer, it would be out of bounds. Maximizingly glorify me, exalt me. Well, that would be a foul because I'm not the Son i 'm not the one who came according to the perfect plan and perfectly fulfilled the work that the father had been it, it gave to do, but because of who Jesus is it 's actually right for him to talk this way, and that sometimes causes us to you know kind of cock our heads sideways because we 're thinking of it in terms of of for us and for for sinners and for fellow sinners, but he 's in a different category. It's right for him to say this. How about this? It would be wrong for him not to say this. Because he's none other than the Son, the eternal Son. We should be amazed at him as we consider who he is. He's worthy of glory because of who he is. He's worthy of glory because of what he accomplished. And as you consider who Jesus is as he was born in Bethlehem, think about the one who's to receive honor and glory. Let's move on and answer it another way. Number two, a second answer to the question, who is this Jesus born in Bethlehem? He is the eternal life giver. He is the eternal life giver. We're going to go back to verses two to four and see this. We don't want to miss this. Since, in verse two, you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. He's talking about his Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. How can Jesus do this? How can Jesus say this? He he gives eternal life. Well, he can say this, again, because of who he is. Verse 2, he's sent of God. He can give eternal life because he, like no one else, is sent of God. But he can say this and he can give eternal life, not just because of who he is. He can give eternal life, but be, be, because of what he's done. We see that in verse 4 if we keep reading his successful work. Verse 4 I glorified you on earth, having accomplished. How can he be the eternal life giver? Having accomplished, having completed the work that you gave me to do. Please notice and how about please give glory to Christ by noticing and observing how successful he is he is successful perfectly he did what he was asked to do to verse, verse 2 again to give eternal life to all whom you have given him that is an astounding kind of declaration and statement That's a success statement. Having accomplished. And what did he seek to accomplish? To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. It's important that we see the connection between those verses, between verse 2 and verse 4. He was to do this, and he did it. Success. How about this? Perfect success. Jesus didn't come and, and, and try, try, try. And you know, he just didn't, didn't, didn't quite do it. He was trying. He, he gave it his best shot. I was given this task and mission. And I did it. Oh, well, it's no wonder he used to be glorified. The way he used to be glorified. He did exactly what He was sent to do, to give eternal life to those given to Him by His Father. It's amazing. It's astounding. He's the eternal life giver. Let's move on to number three and answering the question, who is this Jesus born in Bethlehem? He's, he's the God manifester. He's the God manifester. hope my grammar isn't messing with you today, but maybe it's either a super big distraction and you can't listen anymore, or it <laughs> tweaks your ears enough to go, oh, I guess I'll keep listening. At least they all kind of match. Um, the God manifester. We see this in verses 6 to 8 and 25 to 26. In verse 6 it says I have manifested, which is to say I have made known. I have made known, I have manifested your name, Jesus talking to the Father. And again think name not like most of the way, way that, most of the ways that we're named. I've I've manifested your name. In an Old Testament sense, in a biblical sense, in an old world sense, I've manifested you. I've manifested your character. I've manifested who you really are. I've made you genuinely known. That's what he means. To the people, back to verse 6, whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word not as in they've been perfectly obedient to do everything you've ever commanded. He uses word as as in revelation and in the greater context of John as in revelation of Christ, who Jesus is as the living word. They've kept your word. They, 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 they've, they've embraced it. They've embraced the reality about me, the revelation. We might say gospel. They, 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 they've embraced the gospel. So I manifested... You, I made you known, your name, to the people I was supposed to make your name known to, and they've kept your word. The the reality there is, he's been successful. The son didn't try. I wanted to make God known to these people. And I wanted to do that, and and I tried, and, and I just didn't do it. I couldn't do it. No, he's making the point, I sought to do what you sent me to do, to and for those whom you sent me to do it for, and to... And it worked. I I did it. They've kept your word. They've embraced me as they were supposed to, according to plan. I've succeeded, Father. Verse 7. Now they know that everything. Now they know. This has worked. Now they know that everything that you have given me is, is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. I rightly represented you, I rightly manifested you, I rightly revealed you, and and, and, and they've embraced that. Let's keep going in verse 8. And they have received them and have come to know in truth, another gospel kind of word related to Jesus, that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Again, success. What child is this? He is the one who successfully, rightly, perfectly, manifested, revealed God. That's who this child is. That's who this adult is. That's who this Jesus is. He made God known, rightly, perfectly, savingly, amazingly. Looking ahead to verse 26, we see something very similar. In verse 26, we hear Jesus say, I made known to them your name, uh, and I will continue to make it known. He's the God manifester, the God revealer. None other than the Son is doing this, so it makes sense that he's doing that because of who he is. It reminds me of John chapter one, verse eighteen. The the prologue, the introduction. In John one eighteen, it says, No one has ever seen God. The only God. No one has ever seen God. Referencing God the Father. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. God is Spirit. Regardless of what people say. Regardless of what people say in their books. No one has ever seen him. Nobody. But John 1 18 goes on to say, Who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. It's talking about Jesus. He's the God revealer, the God manifester, the God making knowner. (laughs) Okay? Successfully. That's who this Jesus is. And again, how different from the ones who try. No, He he does. It's no wonder that He he can rightfully pray to His Father, glorify Your Son. I did what You asked Me to do. It's quite extraordinary. Let's move on to number four, a fourth answer to the question, who is this Jesus born in Bethlehem? Can I use a theological word? It's church, you know. Um, Number four, he is the effectual protector. He is the effectual protector. Successful. He's the successful protector. He's the effective protector. He's the one who protects his own perfectly, completely. That's what I mean by effectual. It's going to happen. It does happen. He doesn't try to protect his his sheep. He does protect his sheep. We see this in verses 9 to 16. I love this. I love this because I need a Savior like this. As one of my former pastors used to say, if you could lose your salvation, I would. Yeah. We we need a Savior like this. Effectual protector. Verse 9. I am praying for them. Remember, the context is those you've given me. Okay? The Father has given some to the Son. What does the Son do? I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. That might mess with some of your theology. Uh, I didn't say it. Jesus did. Time to have your theology messed with. Merry Christmas. <laughs> okay? This is, the, the, this is not the Savior who tries to save. And tries to protect. He is the effectual savior. Who effectually saves. He accomplished his work for all given to him by the father. And he protects all of them. Even by praying for them. But he does say I am praying for them in verse 9. I am not praying for the world. But for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. Context demands that he's still talking about the ones that were given to him by his father earlier and that he effectively gives them eternal life. See, Jesus isn't praying contrary to the father's will. He's not acting contrary to the father's will. He knows the Father has given him some, and they're going to have eternal life, and Jesus isn't busy trying to pray for everyone else to get them saved when it wouldn't even make sense. And again, this might step on some of our toes, but the Bible does that because we're growing spiritually. Jesus is effective, and so he's praying for the very ones the Father's given him. Because the the father's plan and the son's plan in John chapter 17 clearly are the same plan. This is not the Jesus, again, the Jesus born in Bethlehem isn't the trying, 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 failing, failing, failing Jesus. This isn't the Jesus who was so surprised and so bothered by Ephesians chapter (laughs) 1. He's the son. Of the triune God. Perfect plan unfolding. Protecting. Verse 10. All mine are yours. And yours are mine. They're on the same page. It's amazing. That the Father and the Son would be on the same page. Newsflash. But the very thing that sometimes rubs us the wrong way is the very thing we actually want and need. And that's to be safe. And to be secure. And that's what's happening here and I am glorified in them. Verse 11, and I am no longer in the world. He's speaking of his imminent departure. It's as if it's already done. It's as if the cross has already happened. It's as if the resurrection and ascension have already happened, even though it actually hasn't chronologically. But they are in the world, continuing in verse 11, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them, see he's been keeping them and now he, now he says, Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one, while I was with them, I kept them see he's the, the effectual protector, effectual keeper, I kept them in your name, which you have given me, I have guarded them, again protecting, guarded them, and not one of them that's, that's effectual, that's Extraordinary. Not one of them has been lost. Except for the son of destruction. He's talking about Judas. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Again, there's a plan, there's a purpose, and he knows the plan and he knows the purpose. Verse 13 But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He's going to talk about conflict and he's going to talk about difficulty, which is so important because in the midst of conflict and difficulty and persecution, you need joy and he's going to give them joy. And the joy is is in the context of they're safe, they're secure. They're going to be safe and secure no matter what the persecution is like, no matter how hard it gets, they can have the joy that will come from knowing that I kept them and now the father's going to keep them. We could look elsewhere in John's gospel, or we could go to Romans 8, and we could see that the Spirit has a ministry in keeping them, having sealed them. Where were we? Got too excited there for a second. Verse 14, I think. I have given them your word. Again, in the context of John and John 17, your, your revelation. Your, your, I've given them the word of the, of the gospel about me and salvation. I've given them your word, your saving gospel word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them. Again, protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I was going to say a bunch of stuff about that and I already did because I got so excited about it. To summarize, when you think about who Jesus is, he's the effective, he's the effectual, he's the certain, successful savior, protector, keeper. He's on the same page with the Father. The Spirit's on the same page with them this is going to succeed. Sometimes that's hard for us to see when we think of um, Jesus meek and mild. Lowly baby Jesus. But he is none other than the one who gives eternal life. The one who protects. The one who's to be glorified because he does all of this successfully. And talk about practical in your life and in my life. God doesn't accept us based upon who we are God accepts us based upon who Christ is and what keeps us from apostasy what keeps us from walking away it's the keeping ministry of the triune God none other than Christ himself what child is this he's the effectual child The successful child. Can't think of anything more practical than that. In awe of him. Giving glory to him for this. uh, Number five. A fifth answer to the question. Who is this Jesus born at Bethlehem? What child is this? Number five. He's the great commissioner. He's the great commissioner. Verses 17 to 20. Verse 17 says... Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I don't want to get too hung up here, but before we go on, John John scholars, people who give their lives to studying the gospel of John, um, and since most of us haven't had the opportunity to give our lives to studying the gospel of John, um, tell us that Sanctify, sanctification, and the word used there is often used, again and again used, in John's writings for a commissioning kind of context, a sending kind of context. So if you're sanctified, you're set apart for something. Okay, So you're, you're, you're set apart for... You're, Jesus is going to use the same Greek word, and it'll be translated in the ESV, consecrated. Okay? you 've set it apart for, for not for ordinary use, but for extraordinary use. Christmas time, you get out your Christmas dishes. they're consecrated dishes. Okay? they're sanctified dishes. Okay? They're, they're unique for a unique purpose. Well, John scholars like Dia Carson would say, sanctify in John is used in the context of commissioning, of mission, of a unique task or a unique thing to do. And I think it helps when we we read John 17, 17 that way and and you're going to see that when we keep reading, oh, it it fits the context. So, sorry for the pause there, but I think it'll help if we now read 17 with 18. Sanctify them, set them apart, um, consecrate them in the truth, gospel truth. Your word is truth, truth about Christ, revelation of God in Christ. And then verse 18... As you sent, oh, there's our commissioning word. So he's sanctifying, consecrating, and then sending as you sent me into the world. Back to verse 3, he's going, we're not going to. So I have sent them into the world. So let's consecrate these disciples. Let's sanctify these disciples, Father. Please do that so that they can be sent out like you sent me into the world. Okay, so there's a similarity here between the son's ministry. It's not exactly the same because he's the Savior. But there's a similarity between the son being sent into the world and then the disciples being sent out, uniquely preserved for that. Then verse 19 says, And for their sake I consecrate or I sanctify or I set apart myself that they also may be sanctified or consecrated in truth. It's enough, a little bit, in a sense, it makes your head go, what? Let's put a couple pieces together so we don't have to all day go, what? (laughs) I consecrate myself. I set myself apart. Oh, by the way, that's terminology used also for animal sacrifices. Right, We're going we're to choose the spotless lamb. We're going to choose the animal without blemish to go and be an atoning sacrifice. That seems to be the idea of what Jesus has in view here. He's, he's staring at Calvary, if you will. He's ready for that. And so he says, in this commissioning context, I consecrate myself. I sanctify myself. I set myself apart like the animal sacrifice. And he is. He's going to be that sacrifice, so that they can be consecrated. So that they can be sent out. I was sent here to be the sacrifice. Okay, I was sanctified for that reason. I was consecrated for that reason. And they're going to take that message, the message of me. I have to do this in order for this to happen. And then they're going to be sent out uniquely consecrated to deliver the message. So it's, not, it's, semi, it's a little complicated, but not that complicated because of the, the verbiage that he's using. But it's a commissioning kind of context. I do love just a moment for gospel pause uh, when we see him saying in verse 19, for their sake. He consecrates himself for their sake. Yeah, because he's the sacrifice. I'm going to do this for them, for their salvation. I'm going to go and be the atoning sacrifice so that they can be forgiven so they can be reconciled and restored, and also so that they can have a message, right? Because that really will be the content of the message, so that they can be sent out with that message. Then verse 20 says, I do not ask for these only. I'm so glad he says that. I'm not just asking for the 11, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And now all of a sudden it just got catapulted into the 21st century to Gentiles too. Jesus praying his high priestly prayer, his effectual praying done not only for those who were there with him, but for those who would believe because of their message. You know, this is, this is good. I'm, I'm thankful to, to have a perfect high priest, Jesus, in his high priestly prayer to be able to pray for me like this. I sanctify myself, Jesus says, for them. Yeah. And then I want you to sanctify them for mission. Because what they're going to go do is they're going to go proclaim the same message. It's deluxe. It makes sense. It makes so much sense that people who don't like the Bible especially don't like John 17 because it just makes too much sense. It it makes too much sense of Jew and Gentile. It makes too much sense of church. It makes too much sense of Great Commission. It makes too much sense of Father and Son. It makes lots of sense. All of this is according to plan. The hour has come pieces are coming together what was blurry isn't so blurry it's clear i'm thankful for verse 20 you can be thankful for verse 20 if you're a believer you're a gentile you're not one of the 11 and none of you are you could make a lot of money if you said you were one of them and i'm sure a lot of people would buy it buy your book but He's asking, he's effectually praying, not just for those, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That applies to believers now. What child is this? He's the one who does his work so that there actually would be a message. And he's the one who actually prays for the setting apart, sanctifying, consecrating of others who would go out and proclaim. Here's Jesus praying for every Christian who ever would be. Not to mention the fact that he intercedes at the Father's right hand now, but he even does it while he's on planet Earth. I love it. Okay, let's move on to number six. We're going to do seven of these. Number six. What child is this? He's the gospel uniter. He's the gospel uniter. Verses 21 to 23. Verse 21. That they may all, again, they all, starting with the 11, but not just the 11. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me i don 't want to be complicated on a Sunday morning right before Christmas, but it 's a little bit of a challenge two two ways people have typically taken this, okay so when we look at twenty one you say some, some use it in, in the sense that, well, this, this is, Jesus' intent is that all Christians should get along. I think it's true. All Christians should get along. And I think it's true in other texts. And we can say, you know what, there should be unity that comes from humility. Because of the gospel, we should get along. And Christians so often fail at getting along. And we really need to do a better job. Okay, you can, we'll, we'll do that sermon another day. I actually don't think that's the intent here. I think the intent is this. Father has a plan. The son's plan is exactly the same as the father's. They're on the same page. The son has been talking about successfully communicating the father, revealing the father, manifesting the father. That's why you can glorify me because I did it there's not been one inkling of distinction between the Father and the Son and their message. And now he's prayed that these who would come uh, and believe in him would be set apart, uniquely consecrated. And since the Son has made that message perfectly clear to them, he's successfully communicated it to them. Now without any gaps, it's possible to have the God known. The ball's not dropped. Okay? And the reason I'm saying it that way is because when you look at the purpose statement of verse 21 at the end, that fits that argument. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's the intent. So that the world may believe that Christians get along. Ha. Ha. But anyway, the intent is, let's let's have the, the gospel be the same gospel. The gospel that the father reveals and then the son carries out and then he communicates it to believers and they've gotten it right. They understand. He's affirmed that already. And now we can know that the world can believe the truth about Jesus because of what Jesus has done. I think that's what he's getting at. I think that makes more sense. He's the gospel unifier because of the successful work of the son. How about this? He's the middle guy, if you will. And I don't mean to be demeaning. He receives it from his father as it is. And he gives it to his disciples as it is. So that they can be uniquely consecrated and proclaim it to the nations, to the masses, to all people as it is. Not lost in translation. It's the same. It's the right message. I think that's what he's getting at. That the world may believe. See, because how could the world believe? You know, the father tried and he had his son. And you know, the son, hmm, who should the son be? He's the first created being like one cult would say. Um, Well, you know what? He's probably going to, you know, there's going to be a little bit of loss in translation. Because after all, you know, he's not perfect. And then he tries to communicate to other people and, and he does his best. And he's better at it than most people. It's no wonder that we would now say, well, you know, we just can't know. Maybe we'll all get to heaven one day, wink, wink. And then we'll know. We can't really be, you know, bold or objective about this. We wouldn't want to be, you know, you know really r- strong about this because we really, we really don't know. We don't really know who God is. Jesus is making the point, the Father had a plan and it was known and the perfect eternal Son, the one who had glory with the Father before the world was, He is the right one who knows and understands and successfully does, And then successfully communicates to those who then he prays for that they would be consecrated for this unique mission. So we have a unified gospel. The father's gospel, if you will, his word, his truth, his revelation. The father's gospel is the same as the son's gospel. And the son's gospel, because of his success, even communicating to sinners, because he prays for them to be consecrated and set apart with his message, He successfully communicates that gospel to the 11 and beyond. I think that's what he's getting at. And it's all because Jesus is great. Jesus is to be glorified. Jesus has the ability. How about this? Jesus has the ability to communicate and to be understood. God has the ability to communicate and be understood. See, we, we, we try to say, oh, that's arrogant. That's so arrogant to conclude that you could actually know God. <gasps> and Now, maybe sometimes we are arrogant about it. Right? Let's just cop to the guilt. But what would actually be radically arrogant is to have a God who is and who can communicate and who invented language And then to communicate that, to reveal that, if you will, to his perfect eternal son, who became one of us, oh, so that we can understand, right? And then he perfectly communicates that, which has been the argument of John chapter 17. And to say, well, you know, we really can't know what the gospel is. That's actually the height of arrogance. So we should be impressed with Jesus because he succeeded not only in receiving from the Father communicating the truth about the Father but he succeeded in then communicating it to his disciples. And do you think Jesus knows his disciples are sinners? <coughs> yeah, you bet he does. You know the difference between Peter and Judas. Jesus prayed For Peter. Jesus knows how sinful his disciples are. But he still has great, 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 great confidence that they will be able to communicate this in such a way, back to that verse, the end of verse 21, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It'll be clear enough that people can believe Okay, let's keep going. Man, that was way too much fun. Man, I'm going to be a preacher in my next life or something. Next life, what am I talking about? Um, verse 22, the, the glory that you have given me, that's in, asso- in association with his with this work, his perfect work in verse 4. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them. That's because he's, he's communicated himself to them. It's, it's, it's the message of him. That they may be one, even as we are one. It's, it's, it's the same message. They're not, we're not one in essence with God. But we have one, one message. It's the same message. We're unified with the Father and the Son in that sense. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. I'm going to say one in message. One in mission, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Okay, I want to say more. Let's go to number seven. Number seven, finally, who is this child born in Bethlehem? What child is this? He's the love revealer. The love revealer. Verses 23 to 26 back to one back to 23 just for a moment i and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one okay here notice this you don't want to miss this so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you love me and, and let's take the first part of that out just so that we can see what we want to emphasize here so again the latter part of 23 that the world may know that you let's skip the sent me part right now that you love them even as you love me. That the world may know that you love them. It just makes my shoulders kind of go down. All of this is so that the world will know that you love them. How do we know that God loves us even though we're unlovely on our own. We're sinners. Because he sent his son. Go back to John 3. How can we know the love of God? We talk a lot about love and we talk a lot about sentimentality. But the supreme demonstration of the love of God is in the sending of his son Jesus. When you look at Jesus and you say, what child is this? It is the child who communicates, who demonstrates, who shows perfectly the love of the Father for people who are even unlovely. How do we know God's love? We know God's love in Jesus. That's how we know God's love. he sent jesus so we know god loves us how does he love us he he did you see something that just is mind rocking there just what just what kind of love does he show though he, he loves us in, loves us in sending his son but what's that look like At the end of verse 23 he tells us even as you loved me that's what jesus says that's like beyond comprehension. Totally, you know, altered state of mind. What? Even as you love me? Well, well how did he love him? He, he loved him as his son. As the one who always did what's right. Who fulfilled the plan perfectly. Always faithful. Remember at Jesus' baptism when the Father speaks from heaven, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. No doubt the Father loves the Son in this unique, extraordinary, amazing way. And the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, that the disciples should know that you, Father, love them like you love me. If you think you're a good person, you're not too impressed. But if you agree with God that you're a lawbreaker, an enemy of God, opposed to God, you say He, he the Father loves me like he loves his son. I'd almost want to say that's impossible. He loves us like he loves his son? That's extraordinary. It's no wonder the apostles would go on to write about us being heirs, right? Brothers and sisters with Jesus, spiritually speaking. Not because we live up to the same kind of standards and expectations, but because he represents us as the one who sanctified for us, delivered over for us, so that we can be united to him by faith and for God to then look at Pat Abendroth, the sinner. Say, I love him. not because of my goodness but because of the goodness of Christ but to have the father love me like he loves his son and for the son to say that I don't have anything better than that I could ever tell you I kind of wish I was a good actor and I could like, you know, just start sobbing, Tammy Faye style right now, you know, and look like the people on religious television and, you know, then we could take an offering. Um. (laughs) I mean, there's something in me that wants to, you know, turn the faucet on, just, you know, it's just not me. And so I'll do, I'll do my best to, to say as earnestly as I can this is an exceptional thing. This is a great reality. That the Father loves us as He loves His Son. It means you're safe. It means you're secure. That means your sins are no longer held against you. That means you have hope not in hope but a hope in Christ that is a sure hope? It is extraordinary and worthy of tears in a non-manipulative sense. Tears of joy. When you think of who Jesus is and you say, what child is this? Maybe we should say, what child is this? What a child this is! Because He's the sent one would be our perfect Savior. And God would love us like he's loved his son. It's awesome. You can't make this stuff up. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ and thank you for your love for us that is beyond comprehension. It is beyond what we can understand. It is beyond what we can measure. But we certainly know that it's not beyond your comprehension. And we know that you've loved your son Jesus and are pleased with your son Jesus. And so therefore we can know that you're pleased with us because of him, because he's our great substitute. He's our great representative. He is our great spiritual big brother who did it all for us. May we find ourselves rejoicing. May we find ourselves proclaiming. May we find ourselves resting. May we find ourselves motivated to see Christ exalted, not just in our lives and in our families and in our community, but in the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.